Uh, go ahead and grab your notepads. I think God is going to speak to you today. Um, I know he did first service, and I'm expecting something great here in second service. We're starting a brand new series today called The Process, um, and, and we're looking at the process of discipleship. So, so let's start here. What does a disciple of Jesus look like? We, we're probably all familiar with that term. If you've been in church for any, any length of time, if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you've, you've heard that phrase, the disciple of Jesus. And what does a disciple of Jesus look like? In other words, uh, notice I didn't say what does a Christian look like. Because uh, I think those are two different things. Um, a, a Christian, especially in our culture, is a much lower bar. Uh, 80% of America considers themselves Christians. I don't think 80% of Americans consider themselves disciples of Jesus. So it's, it's a higher bar. So what does a disciple of Jesus look like? Um, let, let's define that word disciple. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Christ. Fully devoted follower of Jesus. Not a perfect follower of Jesus. Not somebody who gets it right every day, but somebody who says, you know what, I'm coming after your best. God, I want to be as much like you as I can. I'm, I'm going to take a step day by day to be more like you, to grow to be like you. And, and maybe some days are better than others, but as we get more mature, as we move forward, I think there, there needs to be more good days than bad days, right? Like, like we're, we're, we're getting a little bit more like him day by day. So what does that look like? So if we had time, I could pass the microphone around the room, and we'd probably get some different answers. Um, Maybe I'd give Chris the, the mic, and Chris would say, you know what, a, fo a follower of Jesus is somebody who serves, man, who, who loves to, to get, get their hands dirty and make a difference in other people's lives. And i give give the mic to Dave, and maybe Dave would say, a follower of Jesus is somebody who worships with their whole heart, who loves to, to bring glory to Jesus. And i give the microphone to Malaysia, and Malaysia would be like, a follower of Jesus is somebody who loves kids. Man, because the kingdom of heaven is, belongs to such as these. And, and I give the phone to, to Bobby, and Bobby say, man, a follower of Jesus is somebody who loves to give and make a difference uh, financially in people's lives. And I give the phone, the, the phone, give the mic to Dwindle, and, and Dwindle would say, man, uh, a follower of Jesus is somebody who, who loves to spend time with God every day, who gets in the word and who prays. And, and all of us would probably have a different definition or, or a different example of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And all those answers are right, right? Like none of those are wrong answers. All, following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, all of those things are, are encompassed there. But if we're really to, to break it down to, to its simplest form, uh, you know, if we go back to math class and, and we simplify it to, you know, we, we go into division. and what, what, What's the bare bones? What, what's the basics of being a disciple of Jesus? I believe there's four stages or, or four phases that every disciple goes through. I believe we can see these in, in the examples of people in, in Scripture. Um, I, I believe that, that we can, maybe not in everybody's life, do we see the full four steps played out in Scripture, but we can see it, these four phases in, in various people's lives. We can see it in Isaiah. We can see it in Joseph. We can see it in Moses. So th there's other examples as well. And I don't think there's any beyond this. I think everything we just listed is going to be encompassed in one of these four phases. And so we'll, I'll just go ahead and give them to you up front, and then we'll go through them together. And it's basically this. It's no, grow. Discover, go. When, when it comes to the, being a disciple of Jesus, when it comes to, to following Christ, we're all going to know, we're going to grow, we're going to discover, and we're going to go. And I'll, I'll unpack that for you in just a minute. But before we get there, just to help you remember it, I'm going to have you say it out loud. It's, I know people are sleepy. It's still the beginning of the year. Your, your vehicle was 37 degrees when you stepped outside today, or maybe not that much, maybe 27. So, so we're going to say this out loud. So say it with me. Say, no, grow discover, go. One more time. No, grow, discover, go.
go. What does that mean? How do we know, grow, discover, go? Well, well, the first thing, the entry point for relationship with God, the entry point for discipleship of Jesus is first we got to know him. We got to meet him. Maybe you've known somebody. Maybe you've seen this, and unfortunately I've seen it a few times. It's, it's heartbreaking when it happens. But you've seen somebody who, who tries to get further along in the process, who, who tries to serve, who tries to maybe tell others about Jesus, who, who tries to get involved, but they never met Jesus for themselves. They never had that first moment, that first revelation. And so they're, they're looking like a sheep. They're, they're trying to, to act like a sheep. But ultimately what happens? They fail, right? They fall spectacularly. Why, why do they fall? Because you can't follow Jesus if you don't know Jesus. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you from salvation, it is impossible. You can try your hardest. You can make all these to-do lists and all these checklists and try to walk it out. But you don't have the ability I don't have the ability to follow Jesus without his strength. So, so we talked about this a little bit Christmas Eve, if you were here, uh, that, that Jesus, or God, actually exists outside of our universe. That, that he doesn't exist, he's not part of our universe. He, he encounters us in our universe, and he engages with us, but he's beyond. If, in other words, if you were to get the, the greatest spaceship ever built, you couldn't fly to heaven. You're not going to find God. You're not going to find his dwelling place. No matter how far into outer space you went, no matter what mountain you climbed to the top of, no matter where you went in our universe, you're not going to show up at God's throne. He exists outside of our universe. And so the only way that we even know he exists is if he reveals himself to us. He has to reveal himself. And so we use on on Christmas Eve, we use this illustration like uh, George Lucas created the Star Wars universe, right? And and yet all these characters in Star Wars, they don't know that George Lucas exists unless he actually wrote himself into the story. He hasn't done that. And so Princess Leia, RIP, she didn't know that, that George Lucas exists, right? Like Luke doesn't know that George Lucas exists. Even Darth doesn't know that, that George Lucas exists unless George actually wrote himself into the story, was a character in the story, showed up and said, Darth, I am your father. Then he would know that Darth exists, but, but he doesn't know that because he's not been written into the story. So that's what Christmas is. is God written into the story. It's the ultimate revelation. It's the great reveal in history that God says, hey, I'm here, and I want you to know that I'm here. But that's the, the general revelation, but still we have to have a personal revelation. You're never going to know that God's there until he reveals himself to you, until he shows up, until he encounters you, until you encounter him. You've got to know. Now, now, once we know, once we've had that happen, now we can begin the discipleship process. Now we can begin to grow. And all of us in this room, man, when, when we came to Jesus, we had a lot of growing to do. I've been a Christian for well over 30 years. I still got a lot of growing to do. Still got a lot of junk. See, what happens is we, we don't clean ourselves up to come to God. We come to God with all of our junk, with all of our issues, with all of our hang-ups, with all of our habits, with, with all of our just this mixed up baggage. And, and God begins to take it from us. And he begins to change things out. And he says, okay, I'm going to take your guilt and I'm going to give you some joy. And I'm going to take your shame, and I'm going to replace it with some righteousness. And I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going to give you my holiness. And he starts swapping stuff out for us. The problem is a lot of times we take that stuff back, right? No, I like my shame. Oh, man, I really enjoyed that sin. And so we keep taking stuff back. And so we got to grow. we got to let that stuff go and become like Jesus. We all know this. We all know that we're in a growth process, that that's really what discipleship is, right? This is the essence of it is we're growing to be more like Jesus. But, but let me tell you this. I don't care how young you were when you got saved and how pure and how holy you were when you got saved. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus 
grew in stature and knowledge with God and man. And so if Jesus had to grow and he didn't have any sin, I got news for you. You're going to have to grow. And my dad said it. I don't know where he got this phrase. I never heard anybody else say it. But my dad would say, you bet your sweet bippy, you're going to have to grow, right? Like, we're all going to have to grow. It's part of the process. So once we know, we begin to grow. Now, that doesn't mean that we stop knowing. It's not like you leave phase one to go into phase two. It's pretty much you stay in phase one and then add phase two to the mix. And the same thing happens when you get to phase three. You don't leave the growth stage. We're always in the growth stage. But now we move on to discovery. What does discovery mean? Well, discovery basically means two things. It, it means, first of all, that, that we discover that God has an identity for us that's different than our identity. In other words, when I look in the mirror, I, I don't look at myself and see holy. I don't look at myself and see righteous. I don't look at myself and see saint. It's not what I see when I look in the mirror. I look in the mirror and I see sinner. I see unrighteous. I see unholy. I see all these flaws. But the word of God says that God sees me as the righteousness of God in Christ. That God sees me as his holy one, which means set apart. That, that God sees me as a saint. God sees me differently than I see me. So guess what? If I think one thing about myself and God thinks something else about me, who's right? It's not a hard question. You guys can do this. If I think something about Troy and God thinks something different about Troy, who's right? Praise God, it's him and not me, right? Why? Because God's ways are better than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He sees me better than I see myself. And so discovery means I've got to, to learn to discipline myself to say, you know what, just because this is what I see, that's not what God sees. And God's right and I'm not. And so I'm going to begin to take on the identity he's given me, not the identity of how I feel, not the identity of what I see. I'm going to embrace his identity. So discovery means I'm starting to see myself differently. And in, in that process, it means I start to realize that I'm unique, that there's some things that are different about me than Donna. There's things that are different about me than Darius. There's things that are different about me than, than Miss Nina. There, there's things that set us apart, and that doesn't mean that I'm better or worse. It just means different. So I've got some unique life experiences. I've got a unique personality. I've got some unique gifts. I've got some unique passions. If you know me, you know I'm, I'm a pretty passionate person, and yet I don't really have a ton of passions. I'm pretty much passionate about three main things. I'm, I'm passionate about God. I'm passionate about reaching people for Christ. I'm, I'm passionate about my family, my wife Melody, and my kids. They're actually homesick today, and so a piece of me isn't here, so it's a sad day for me. I'm praying for my, my family to have breakthrough because, man, they've been dealing with this sickness for a while. We're believing in this fast that they're going to be free, that they're going to be healed, they're going to be well. So I'm passionate about my kids, man. I'm, I'm passionate. We got to take Jude out in the snow. It's probably why he's still snick, sick. But, but, man, we couldn't resist. The boy had never actually gone out in the snow and played in it. He's, like, sat in a little thing we, uh, before. But he got to go out and play in the snow, and it was the coolest thing ever. He was just having a blast, man. He was so happy and so excited. And it's just so cool. I'm so passionate about my kids. I could talk to him about them all day. I'm, I'm passionate about my Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and I can talk about that today because we won last night. Next week, we may not talk about the Seahawks. We might be more spiritual. Uh, but, but this week, we, we can mention the Seahawks, and I'm passionate about them, right? So I'm passionate about some things which you're probably not passionate about the Seahawks. And you might like my kids, but you're probably not passionate about Judah and Alexa. Probably not passionate about Melody. Like, you probably like Melody, and she's cool, but, you know, it doesn't like excite you. Like, it, she excites me, right? Like, the things that are different about me than you and, and vice versa. And when I begin to discover what's unique about me, I realize that none of that stuff isn't an accident. Something just happened by chance. It's not random. But God actually, in his design, chose to make Tracy unique. He said, I want you to bring glory to my son in a different way than I want Tim to bring glory to my son. 
in a different way than I want Ashton to, right? Like he, he, he sets us apart and we discover that there's something unique about us and that stuff's not just there to, to give us some different way to enjoy life. It's actually there because we get to point four, the last step, now it's time to go. What's the Great Commission? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do I make disciples? I take all the stuff that I discovered and I use that in my unique way to point people to Jesus. My life experiences, my testimony, my personality, my gifts, my passions, all that stuff adds up to be the way that God wants me to make disciples, the way that God wants me to go. But I can't go well until I discover. Now, again, none of these, are. this isn't all linear. It's not I go from one to the next. It's, I'm still in discovery. I'm constantly getting new things. What am I praying for? Praying for breakthrough and vision. What's vision? This is discovery. Something new for God to show me for my family. I want to discover some new things this month that, that God's got for us. So, so I'm still in discovery, but I'm also in go. I'm sharing. I'm making disciples. What is a disciple truly? A disciple is somebody who makes disciples. We could say it this way, a disciple makes disciples who makes disciples who make 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 disciples, right? Like the discipleship process is constantly ongoing, and your part in making disciples might be different than somebody else's part. In other words, there's some of us who have an evangelistic gift, and our, man, we're camping out on no. Man, our job is to reveal God and to bring people to Jesus, and, and we get the process started for them, and we help them to, to take that step. And there's others of us that, that we're uniquely gifted in the grow, and we can sit down with people, and we can help them to, to set aside their hurts and their habits and their hangups and their stuff from the past and to, to get that breakthrough and get rid of that sin and get rid of that stuff. And, and our job is, is to help them to grow, and then there's others of us that, that man, we're gifted for discovery. God's given us some unique wisdom and some unique knowledge that we can speak into somebody's life and say, man, I really could see you doing this. Man, that thing you're doing, it's, it's awesome. I, I had a, a pastor's wife when I was 15 years old. Her name was Laura, and I was praying and, and seeking God about whether I was called into ministry. And Miss Laura came to me one Sunday night, and she said, Troy, that thing that you're praying about, God wants you to have it. I would not spoken it to anybody. She had no way of knowing what I was praying for. And she didn't even say what it was, but, but God gave her enough information to say, I want you to encourage him. I want you to speak into his life. What is that? That's discovery. Man, she, she helped me in the discovery process to realize who I was and what I was called to. Man, there, there's, there's people that have that, that gift and that calling, and maybe that's where you fall in the disciple process, and, and maybe it's, it's just go. Man, your job is, is to serve and to get out there and, and, and to, to help in whatever way that God's wired you, man. And in the lives of kids or the lives of men or the lives of women or the lives of families, whatever that is, he's just saying, I just need you to go, and you're going to make disciples there. And it doesn't mean that, that you never introduce anybody to Jesus in the no stage or you never help anybody in, in, in the grow phase, but, but we're going to probably be uniquely called to one of those four areas, man, uniquely uh, helping the discipleship process at one of those four levels. So, know, grow, discover, go. What I want to do is I want to take the, the last 25 minutes or so of our time together and dig into the first one of those. We're, we're going to dig into the know part. Uh, next week, we'll look at grow. Week three, we'll talk about discover. Week four, we'll look at go. But, but as, as we kick this series off and look at the discipleship process, I want to talk about knowing God. Because we said at the beginning that you can't know God and I can't know God unless God reveals himself to me, right? Well, that kind of sounds like bad news, doesn't it? Doesn't that kind of sound like I'm at a disadvantage? Well, here's, here's the good news. 
God is constantly revealing himself to us. God is looking for new ways and, and, and some way to get through to us, to scream at us, to grab our attention and say, here I am. I need you to know that I'm for you, that I care about you, that I got a plan for you. He's constantly revealing himself. And so we just have to be aware of his revelation. And so we can look into scripture and, and find different examples. God's revealed himself in, in some crazy ways, right? Like, like he revealed himself to, to one guy by speaking through a donkey, right? Like that's, that's pretty unique. That's pretty different. Jonah was on a ship. And how did God reveal himself to Jonah's shipmates? Through a storm. He sent a storm and then they said, man, you must have really done something bad because the storm came up and, and they realized that God was there through the storm. So God can reveal himself any way that he wants to. So I'm going to give you this morning five ways that God reveals himself, but you got to understand this. This is not an exhaustive list. I don't, I don't have it all narrowed down. That these are the only ways that God reveals himself. God can reveal himself any way he wants to. But these are five frequent ways, five common ways, either from Scripture or just daily life, that God will reveal himself. And, and even though God can reveal himself any way he wants to, I believe that he's chosen specific ways to reveal himself frequently. He's chosen and anointed certain things and said, here's how I want to reveal myself to the masses. So, so five ways that God reveals himself to people. If you're taking notes, the first one is this, is that God reveals himself supernaturally. This is the, the exciting one, right? It's the unique one. Uh, I have a buddy back in North Carolina when um, I was about 19 years old. We got real close. And uh, he had grown up in a cult, very uh, abusive environment, both psychologically and physically. Um, and, and it had warped kind of his picture of God. He had some difficult time in his relationship with God, but he knew God was there. And I remember him telling me, he said, man, I just want God to speak to me. If I could just hear his audible voice, if he would just say, I'm here for you, here's what I want you to do, then I'd leave all this other junk behind, I'd, I'd get rid of all this sin, and I'd go all in. And uh, to my knowledge, he still hasn't heard that audible voice because a lot of times God doesn't reveal himself supernaturally. Because God's got other ways, and we'll look at those other ways that he wants to reveal himself. And I know he's revealed himself to my friend through these other ways. Um, but occasionally God does. Just because he doesn't do it always doesn't mean he never does it. So in Scripture, we see lots of these supernatural experiences. I already mentioned a couple of them. But uh, in Acts chapter 9, we find another one. There's this guy named Saul, and he's persecuting God's followers, right? You know the story. He, he's grabbing them and, and putting them in prison. Uh, he, he's even having some of them killed. In fact, Acts chapter 9 starts in verse 1. It says this. It says, now Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. What a strong sentence to be made against you. He was breathing out murderous threats against God's people. This is the Lord's disciples. So that's how we, we first meet him. That's how we see this, this conversion that's about to take place. And so if we skip down to verse 3. We see God show up and reveal himself in a supernatural way in Saul's life. It says, as he, he being Saul, near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now go up and go into this, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I don't know about you, I've never had God show up to me like that. And also, I'm glad. Uh, notice that he said, who, he says, who are you, Lord? He didn't know who he was, but he knew it was important. Uh, I don't know who you are, but I know you're a Lord. Like, you, you're in charge of something. Who are you? And, and notice Jesus' reply. He says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. In other words, he didn't say, I'm Jesus and you're persecuting my followers. He didn't say, I'm Jesus and you're persecuting 
my disciples. He said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. He said, you're personally, you're coming after me. So I, I find this encouraging. When you get persecution, when, when somebody at work treats you differently because, oh, you're that person who thinks you're holier than thou. When, when somebody at school, man, talks down about you because you're that person who's saving yourself for marriage or whatever it is, they are not persecuting you. Their issue isn't with you. Their issue is with Jesus. Don't, don't take it personally. Don't, don't freak out about it. All it is is, man, they got an issue with him. Uh, and, and here's the good news. Jesus takes it personal. It means he's going to be the one to take care of it. You don't have to avenge yourself. You don't have to come back at them. You don't even have to worry about it. Jesus is going to handle it for you. He says, I'm Jesus whom you were persecuting. And then he says, Here, here's what I'm going to do. And so you know the story, right? Like he goes blind for three days, and he goes to this house on Straight Street, and God speaks to this man named Ananias and says, Ananias, I need you to go talk to this man named Saul. And Ananias is like, Saul's terrible. He's trying to kill your people. And God says, trust me, I know all about him. I've chosen him, and he's going to suffer for my name. And so God sends Ananias over, and Ananias prays over Saul, and scales fall off of his eyes, and he can see, and he, he becomes a Christian, and he gets baptized, and what does God do? He changes his name to Paul. What's that? That's discovery. You got a new identity. And then he sends him, go, and he uses him probably more than he's ever used any human being in history. Starting churches all over Europe and Asia and, and the Middle East and doing all these incredible things, and, and, and God spreads the gospel through this one man, but, but why did it happen? Because there was a supernatural meeting, right? Because he knew him supernaturally. Now, most of us don't have these experiences, but again, that doesn't mean they don't still happen. Um, my mom has an aunt who, who's now passed away um, who, who married a man named Pepper. Pepper grew up on a, a Native American reservation in uh, North Dakota. And he grew up on the reservation back in the, the turn of the 1900s, to, uh, the beginning of the 1900s, early 1900s. Um, no churches, no knowledge of Christ whatsoever on this Indian reservation. Uh, and he grew up and he got into alcoholism, hit a very bad season of depression in his 20s, and decided he was going to take his own life. In fact, he, he was holding the gun in his hand, ready to take his life. And he says that Jesus showed up to him in a vision, revealed himself to him and said, I'm Jesus. He'd never heard the name Jesus before. He said, I died for you. I love you. I want to use you. And then he puts the gun down, and he repents, and he gives his life to Jesus, and he, he leaves the reservation. He goes, and find, who, I need to find out more about this Jesus. How can I, how can I follow him? And so his, his name was Pepper. We call him Brother Pepper. Brother Pepper went into ministry. He pastored for, for over 40 years, uh, telling others about Jesus. Why? Because here's the thing. God doesn't need me to tell people about Jesus. He doesn't need you to tell people about Jesus. He just wants to include us in the process. But if we're not faithful and, and we're not going and telling somebody, if we're not hitting these dark places where nobody knows about him, he can still reveal himself. A lot of times we have these questions, right? Like, well, what about these people in Asia and these people in Africa who've never heard about Jesus? Man, God can reveal himself any way he wants to. He doesn't need me to do it. He just wants to bless me by letting me be a part of it. And a lot of times we miss out on the blessing because we're not obedient. Uh, so, so God can still reveal himself supernaturally if he wants to, and he still does. And there's stories, you probably heard missionaries where, man, we went into this village and no missionary had ever been there. And I started talking about Jesus, and they're like, oh, yeah, we saw the vision of Jesus, and he showed up in a dream. And, and this stuff happens all the time. Why? Because God's revealing himself. God is going to reveal himself to people. He's going to make sure people know that he's there. And so he does reveal himself supernaturally. But it is the most uncommon way, because number two, God actually reveals himself the opposite he reveals himself naturally. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, since the very beginning, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without 
excuse. What, what, what is he saying to the Apostle Paul writing this? He says, nature itself is telling us about God. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I, some of the greatest moments I've ever had in my life with God have been out in nature. Sitting around a lake, sit, sitting out in the woods. Man, just me and, and a Bible or just me and, and a worship song. And, and God reveals himself in nature in great ways. And, and I think we're at a really big disadvantage in our culture because we don't spend much time in nature. I think 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote that, the people were in nature a whole lot more. Like they knew, they experienced it. They were out on horseback or out on camel for hours at a time, just nothing but their thoughts. And they're looking up and they're seeing stars like we'll never see because of our city lights. And they didn't have cell phones and iPads and all these distractions. And so I think they had access to that revelation in, in probably a way that most of us will never experience. But God reveals himself through nature. So he reveals himself supernaturally, and then he reveals himself naturally. Third, God reveals himself through his word. Romans 10, 17 says in the New King James, it says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How does God reveal himself? He reveals himself through his word. Why am I calling you guys to read the Bible twice a day the next three weeks? Because I want to be the pastor who can say, man, look at how much my people read. No, it ain't about that. I'm calling you to read the Bible so much the next three weeks because I believe that God will reveal himself to you if you do. I believe you'll know God better, right? Like we don't leave the no stage. It's just like somebody, somebody told me this after first service. I thought it was so good. He said, it's, I, didn't, I don't stop having to get to know my wife just because we got married. He's like, man, I got I to gotta keep getting to know her better. I keep learning new things about her. I got to keep discovering things about her. He said, I never leave the no phase. I was like, man, that's such a perfect illustration. You never leave the no phase with God. You just add the go phase and the grow phase and the discover phase. Why, why do I call you to read the word of God? Because you want to know God better, don't you? Don't you? Deep down inside, don't you want to know God better than you know him right now? How are you going to do that? One of the best ways is this thing right here. Is to get into his word. One of the great benefits of spiritual two-a-days is that, that God will be revealed to you. Um, that's why... You go into any hotel in America, right? You open up the drawer, what do you see? You see a Gideon Bible. That's why people are constantly raising money and, and doing everything they can to put a Bible anywhere. Why? Because somebody might come through there depressed. Somebody might come through there suicidal. Somebody maybe will do some ungodly act or take something in their body or, or do something in that hotel room that God didn't design for them to do and, and hit a very low point. And the word of God is going to be right there to reveal himself. How many people... His life is turned around in a hotel room because somebody was willing to give and sacrifice so that a Bible could be in that room. What an amazing, amazing ministry. And so often we, we take this thing for granted. We miss out on, on, on how incredible it really is to have this access. We've got more access to it than any generation ever. So there's a video that's been going around for a couple of years. You may have, not, may have seen it, but go ahead and bring the lights down for us, Noah. I want to show you this video. This is Christians in communist China receiving Bibles for the very first time. I want you to see their reaction. Go ahead and roll this.
When's the last time you were so excited about the Bible that you rubbed it on your face? I'm a pastor. I ain't never been that excited about the Bible. <laughs> I'm just being real. Why? Because it's common to us. We have so much access to it, and I think the access actually puts us at a disadvantage. They don't have access to it. It's illegal for them to have it. Somebody had to risk their life to smuggle those books in there, to smuggle the word of God. And they have such a deep appreciation for it. When's the last time you cried because you had a Bible in your hands? I'm a pastor. I've never cried because I got to hold a Bible. We, we miss out, I think, because we've got such great access. Sometimes our blessing is actually a curse. So I want to call you the next three weeks as you read the Bible. Man, seize the opportunity. Grab hold of it and realize, you know what? People died to pass this thing down to me. People put their lives on the line to translate this thing into English hundreds of years ago. Like people did so much so that I could actually have access to the word of God. Why? Because God is revealed through his word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And we miss out. So often we, we neglect this thing. We live it on a, like, man, in a, in a cabinet somewhere or, or we have a phone app and we never open it. And I'm not trying to say this to make you feel guilty or to make you ashamed of yourself. I'm just saying that, man, God wants you to know him better. He does. God's not hiding himself from you. God's not trying to be mysterious. He says, here's how you know me. It's right here. You've got access. It's in your hand. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. It's on your iPad. Take advantage of the opportunity. Ten minutes a day in the morning, ten minutes a day in the evening. Watch God reveal himself to you through his word. Number four, God reveals himself through the gathering of his people. This one's probably my favorite. So I'm a pastor, and I love when God's people gather. Um, my dad did not grow up a Christian. My dad was, was very far from God. He actually grew up as a Mormon, um, and he said that, that, that his family had only self-righteousness, and he never had that problem. So he got into every kind of sin you can imagine, and, and many addictions, and, and all kinds of nasty bondage. And he was 33 years old, and he met a girl, and he thought she was cute, and she wouldn't go out with him because he wasn't a Christian. But she said, you can come to church with me. So he went to church with her because he wanted to get to know this girl. And uh, he, he takes my older brother and my older sister. The, my brother was nine, and my sister was seven. And uh, he said, we got in there, and the, just a couple minutes after we got there, I looked at John. And I said, Jesus is here. And my, my brother, who was nine at the time, says, well, how do you know, Dad? And he says, well, I don't know, but these people know. He, he said, I, I looked at them, and I watched the way that, that these men had their arms around each other praying. And he said, I'd seen men with their arms around each other before, but, but I'd never seen them praying. They were doing something else. He said, the way that they loved each other, the way that they prayed for one another, the way they cared about each other, something was different, and that's, that's how I knew that God was there. God revealed himself through the gathering of his people. That's why it's so important for us to get together. That's why it's so important not just to show up, but, man, to show up prayed up. So, so I'm not coming in with my issues and, oh, here's what's going on in my life and I, everything's so rough. Is I can actually be ready to, to be a blessing to somebody else who's maybe not coming in prayed up. So I can be there when they're going through something, and you can be there for me when I'm going through something. Man, it, it's why it's so key. I'm not saying it, man, because, man, we just need more attendance. We need more people at church. I'm saying it because it matters that God can actually use you and the way you interact with somebody else in his family 
to show himself to somebody. My dad didn't come to Jesus because of a sermon. He didn't come to Jesus because of a great worship team. And I love preaching and I love our worship. He came to Jesus because of people sitting out there at the church who loved each other, who cared about each other. And it was within 24 hours of that time that he came to church, he got on his knees and he cried out to God and he gave his life to God. And, and God took so much junk from him and, and everything changed for me. And that woman ended up being able to date him and then married him. And that's my mom. And, and that's how it all happened for me. That's the story of my family. It's why I'm here. Because God reveals himself in the gathering of his people. God shows himself to people. The last Sunday, we, we came down front and we prayed at the end of service as we, as we committed ourselves to this, this 2017, as this new year, and said, you know what, I'm going to participate in this fast. I'm going to do the spiritual two-a-days. I'm going to take a step. And we, we had a guest with us who's been here a couple other times and talked to her after service, and she goes, man, that was a service. I said, you think so? She said, I've never hugged so many people I don't know in my life. <laughs> Thought, what a great statement. What an awesome testimony about our church, man. That we're hugging people we don't even know. Man, that's, that's what it's all about right there. Loving somebody, embracing somebody, caring about somebody, being there for somebody. God reveals himself in the gathering of his people. God wants to use you to reveal himself. And number five, God reveals himself through the lives of his people. In Acts chapter 2, we see the, the, the greatest day in the history of the church, right? Like the, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the 120, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes out, and he preaches the first sermon in the history of the church. And 3,000 people come to Jesus. And I would give anything to be able to go back in time and just be a, be a spectator that day and to see what happened and, and to experience it. And, and all this happens. And then Acts chapter 2 concludes it says this in verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then check this out. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They weren't just getting saved on Sunday when they came together for church. They were getting saved all week long. Why? Because God's people were being God's people. There's, the, there's this funny kind of split in, in modern church that maybe you're aware of, maybe you're not, but there's, there's kind of these two camps that have emerged. There's this camp that thinks that we got to get people to church to get them saved. And it's kind of almost the old school camp, right? The, the traditional, like, we're going to give an altar call and somebody's going to walk the aisle and, and pray with the pastor and come to Jesus while we sing J just as I am, right? Like there's kind of that, you know, first, second, and fourth verse. Uh, that, that mentality, right, that people got to come to Jesus that way and, and then there's this newer mentality that we're not even going to do altar calls. We're not even going to give people a chance to get saved in service because we want to teach our people to introduce people to Jesus through the week. We want our people to go out, and, and we think more people will come to Jesus that way. And I, I'm, a, I'm an abundance guy. Like, I'm not an either-or the guy. I'm a both-and guy. So I think, man, let's get them saved at church, and let's get them saved in the streets. Like, let, let's get them saved when we gather, and let's get them saved when they scatter. And I think that's what the, new, the early church did. I think that's what Acts chapter 2 is. The 3,000 got saved at a gathering. Why? Because some people are going to be saved and, and overwhelmed by the power when God's people come together. Oh, my gosh, I want some of that. But not everybody. A lot of people are never going to come to church. A lot of people will never walk through those doors. You can invite them until you're blue in the face, and maybe you have. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that they're never going to come to Jesus. It just means we got to go get them. And so God is revealed through the gathering of his people, but he's also revealed through the lives of his people. It's not either or, it's both and. 
we got to do both. We, we got to take Jesus with us. We got to come and, 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 you know, get that, that spiritual dose and, and get fired up and get motivated and get excited when we're around other Christians. And it's so much easier to worship and so much easier to read the Bible when other people are doing it too. And, and then we got to go out and, and, and discipline ourselves to do it on our own. And you know what? It says that they, they were gathering in homes. They were breaking bread together. So they weren't just doing it alone. They were, you know what? I can't do this by myself. Why don't you come have dinner with us? Why don't we do life together? Why don't we get into a small group? Why, why, why don't we make this thing happen as a team? And as they did it, it says every stinking day people were getting saved. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's the group of people I want to surround myself with. That everywhere they went, man, somebody was coming to Jesus. Why? Because they were so full of the love of Christ and the power of God that they couldn't help but tell somebody. And God was revealed everywhere they went. People said, I got to have that. That's what God's calling us to. That's where we're headed. That's what, what I believe God has for us in 2017. I'm not saying 365 days a year. Somebody's getting saved every day. But I, but I am saying this, man. God wants to see people come to Jesus, not just in our services. He wants to use you to do it. He wants to reveal himself through the lives of his people. And I believe he's going to. Amen? Amen. As, as we get ready to close, I, I want to hit one last thing. This wasn't in my notes this morning, but I felt like God spoke to me on this. Some of you here, in fact, probably most of you here, know Jesus, right? Like you've had that initial experience. You've had that moment of the aha, the reveal. Like you've come to Christ, you've given your life to him. Probably almost all of us in this room have had that experience at some point in time. And yet I I felt like God said there's some of you here today that even though you know, you're, you're not really sure if you know. Like you're in a season maybe of doubt or a season of discouragement, a season where just things are cold or distant um, and and can I just be real honest with you? Uh, I'm a pastor, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but sometimes I doubt. Sometimes, like, like I'll have that moment, and I'm like, man, am, did I, am I wasting my life? Am, am I doing all this for something that's not real or something that's not there? Like, I'm just, just being very vulnerable with you right now. Sometimes I have those moments where I question things. And when I do, God, God always reminds me and takes me back to something he did in my life where I can't deny it was him, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, God. Duh, I'm being dumb. But, but it happens. I have those moments where, where I'm vulnerable or where the enemy's discouraging me or attacking me. And, and maybe you do too. I'm just sharing that because I feel like somebody else here has maybe going through that season right now. Here's my encouragement for you if, if you're at that place. God has to start the process. God has to reveal himself. We can't get to him if he doesn't. But once he has, now, and, and, and because you're already saved, he already has, now he says the ball's in your court. James 4, 8 says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. In other words, if you feel distant, if you feel cold, if you're in that season of doubt or discouragement today, all God's asking you to do is move towards him. And, and when I say move towards him, I don't mean go through the motions. I don't, I don't mean, man, pretend to worship or or, or try to open your Bible and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to open my Bible. I mean, like, move your heart towards him. God, I want you in my life. God, I want to know that you're there. God, I want to hear your voice. I mean, really get, get open and vulnerable with him. And maybe you got to get out in nature to do that. Or, or maybe you got to get alone to do that. I don't know. But, but take that step towards him. And his promise is when you really move towards him, he's moving towards you. And we see the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son starts to come home, and the father goes running after him. So if, if you're at that place today, and I've been at that place even recently where I've had some doubt and some discouragement in my life, I want you to know this. Step towards him. He's not mad at you. 
He doesn't hate you. He's not even disappointed in you. He's just waiting for you to take that step and saying, you know what? I cannot wait to get close to you again. I cannot wait until you open that door for me into your life again, and I'm coming. So I encourage you, take that step towards him if you're at that place. He's going to show himself again. He's going to let you see what, you know, what, what does the psalmist say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe you just need to taste and see again. And sometimes we need another taste. Ain't that right? Man, if, if you need another taste, take a step towards him. And he's going to give you that taste. I promise you that.